Patricia. You'll have to keep teaching us on that air kiss. It's good to be back. I had to go look in my uh, files this morning. I popped open the computer to look and see when was I here last. And do you know that it's been since 2015? So how many of you were here when I taught back then? That's quite a few of you. Next question. How many of you have never heard me teach before? May I see your hands? The whole rest of the room almost. Okay, so that means that I'm speaking to a lot of strangers, and so it is going to be necessary for us to play a game. And I know those of you who know me know what we're about to play, so no cheating. I'll, I'll, I'll do a little bit of extra summary before we jump into this game for those of you who have never heard me teach before. I used to introduce myself as Francie Taylor, wife of Norman H. Taylor from First Baptist Church in Rosemount, Minnesota. Now I'm Francie Taylor, widow of Norman H. Taylor. He went home to be with the Lord in September of 2017, and I got to join the club that no wife wants to join. We don't look forward to being widows, do we? And we certainly don't plan, really, for it. Even though we know that it's a possibility, it is a reality for me now. And I'll talk more about that in the very last lesson. But don't look so sad, because the Lord takes especial good care of widows. He is so tender with widows that those of us who, who know him and walk with him, we would have to say that it would almost be a fraud for us to pretend that we're not tenderly cared for, because we are. And I'm grateful for that. But uh, the joy in the journey, I'll talk about later how that got shaken a bit. So I'm still a mom. There's some parts of your life that don't change when one huge part changes. And I have three children. Austin is 30-something. I was there. <laughs> I wish I could tell you his age, but it's in there somewhere in the 30s. And so, okay, somebody else do the math. He was born in 86. How old is that? There you go. So his birthday's coming up May 16th, and um, he's got a lovely wife, Jessica, and they're both on staff now at, at Pensacola. And um, Jessica works right underneath me in the Abeka building. Only God could do that, right? And then Austin works in promotions, and guess what part of his job is? Part of the job of the people in promotions is to take people to and from the airport. So guess who took me to the airport the other day? I always tip the driver. <laughs> and then my daughter Hillary is, is uh, in Minneapolis still. I wish she would move to Florida, but the Lord didn't order that for her, so I don't pick at her about it. I just go visit her in Minnesota, and she comes and visits me in Florida, and that's a blessing. But she was the seven-year-old child years ago who said, Mommy, Daddy, I want a bunny for my birthday and a Black's Law Dictionary. Seven years old. We knew what the bunny was. We went to the pet store and got that, but we actually had to look up the Black's Law Dictionary because we didn't know what that was. And when we found out that it was this great big thick book of law terms, we wondered what a seven-year-old wanted with that. She'd keep it by her bedside and read definitions at night. Uh, uh, that's an odd breed of cat, isn't it? <laughs> I'll say she has more of her father's DNA. He's not here to defend himself. But Hillary now is an attorney in Minneapolis. Does it make sense? The Lord does these things. And then Colin is 29, and he is a musician, but he calls himself a starving artist. 
because he works for customer service in um, a hearing aid company by day, and at night he arranges and composes music, and any chance he gets, he takes a hymn and completely rearranges it and puts the arrangement together on SoundCloud and then sends it to all of us. I don't know what the Lord's going to do with that one day, but we're just delighted that he has that gift, and I'm just grateful that he can sit still on a piano bench now. That's a miracle there. So now you know a little bit about my background, and I do have um, a, another book coming out. There's two back there. Ponder the Path is a devotional, and this was written just to help people get their Bible study habit down. So if you've been struggling to read your Bible daily, this will help, because it's just one one section per day, you read one page or one chapter, it's really short. In fact, if you only read that one a day, it'll take less than seven minutes. And that's about how long it takes to read a chapter of Proverbs, which is the assignment that comes with each page in the book. It was solely written to help ladies get in the habit of being in the Word daily. And so that one is back there, and that's $8. And then Rough Patches, Navigating Marital Hard Spots. It's hard to be married to a person and not ever hit a rough patch. You would have to be married to a robot to never have a run-in. And since we're humans, there are going to be times when things go a little bit off course or off script. And this is just a little, very simple read with some ideas of how we can shift our perspective and look at things through a different lens and all based on scripture. And this one is, this little booklet's $4. We have a limited number back there. I was at the table looking to see how many we sent. And I was surprised we didn't send very many, but I think that's because I remember your conference being smaller than this. So I blame Pam, because there's like 11 billion of you out there, and I was not expecting this many. So see me back there at the book table, and I will, um, I will meet you there. And I'll even do a book signing if it means something to you. Only makes it worth a penny more on eBay. Just remember that. Now I'm going to give these away, and then we're going to play the game. All right, tell me where I am. You have to raise your hand. Amy, stand up and see the first person who raises their hand. And no, no arguing with Amy. She's going to pick you. Okay, but don't raise your hand only if you think you know where I am. All right, here it comes. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies. Got a hand? Striped shirt. She's got it. Clap for her. She gets this book. Amy, you want to give her that? Okay, I'm going to give away this one the same way. Now you know how the game works, right? At least that game. Are you ready? In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Where am I? That's Proverbs. Clap for her. Okay, good. All right, now that we've gotten that out of the way, you ready for the getting to know you game? And then we're getting into this lesson on trust issues. So here's how it works. The game is called, Are You My Sister? I'm going to make a statement, and if it's true of you, I want you to say, when I say, are you my sister, I want you to say, yes, with a really high voice. But if it's not true of you, I want you to say, no, with a really no low voice, so we can tell the difference. Let's practice the yes, yes. Yes. Good. Let me hear the no. No. That sounds so threatening. Perfect. Perfect for the job. Okay, here's the questions, and there's only three. Remember, don't answer until I ask, are you my sister? Number one out of three. 
I talk to the other drivers when I'm on the road, even though my car windows are closed and they can't hear me. Are you my sister? Yes. That was almost unanimous. I think even the ones without a license said yes. <laughs> I know how you are, too. You're probably the one driving along saying, learn to use your turn signal, coconut head. <laughs> yeah, I know. They can't hear you. It's not a good habit. Number two out of three, I hate bugs. So I keep a can of Raid in every cabinet, and when I see one, I spray a long time. Are you my sister? No. The yes is totally lost on that one. You brave girls, you. Then you can kill the bugs for those of us who hate them. I had a bug land on me in Florida, and I was warned about these flying roaches called palmettos. You can hear them before you can see them because they have like landing gear and wings. And they're really big. And I'm watering my little plant stands and I heard and then it big, 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 big brown thing landed on my arm. I almost shook my arm off at the shoulder blade. And I was just shaking and going crazy and then I realized the neighbors were in their backyard. But that thing was so big, and when he landed, he like almost bent my arm. It's like, oh, they, oh. No, girls, I, I come out the door to water now with a can of Raid in one hand and the watering can the other. All right, number three out of three, and then we're ready to study. If my cell phone goes off in church, I look behind me like it was somebody else. <laughs> Are you my sister? A cell phone went off at the front row here right when it started. And I thought, I haven't taught her how to handle that yet because she just blew it and let all of us know it was her. Don't dive for your purse, sister friend. Look around you until it starts, stops ringing like <laughs> And nobody will know it's yours. You could do this. Now you just learned something very deep and philosophical. So now we can get into the lesson on trust issues. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll study together. Heavenly Father, what a good thing it is to have laughter because it helps us with our joy in the journey. And you said, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. And I just pray, Father, that we'd remember that. And I pray also, Lord, that we would stay yielded to you throughout this entire conference. There's gonna be a lot of things taught, a lot of things said, that are designed by you for us. I pray that you would bless every speaker, every lesson. And the ladies who came, I especially pray for a particular blessing on their hearts and lives. We could never know what they came here looking for, Lord. We could never know. But you do. And so we thank you. Bless and fill us with your Holy Spirit power as we study together now in Jesus' name. Amen. Ladies, turning your Bibles to Isaiah 26 verses 3 through 4. And we're going to read that together. And when we lack uh, a trust in God, we're trading it for something. I bet you can guess what that is. If we're not trusting, what are we usually doing? Yeah, I hear worrying. We usually are trading our trust for worry. And it's a bad trade. And it's a guaranteed way to lose your joy in the journey. Fretfulness never makes a person joyful. But it certainly can keep you awake at night. 
So we're going to study this, this lesson on trust issues, and hopefully the Lord will give you something in these four points that'll be not only transforming by the renewing of your mind, but that will help you going forward to remember that he can always be trusted. Let's read that passage of scripture together if you have it. Ready? Begin. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Isn't that a great passage of scripture? Believe it or not, this was my theme passage for 2017. And little did I know when I chose this passage on January 1st, 2017, I did not have any idea that by April of 2017, we were going to find out that my husband had two forms of cancer. And that by September of 2017, I'd be standing in the front of the church auditorium hugging people as they went by the casket. No way did I see that coming. As I taught when I was here in 2015, that was not in the planner. It was such a jolting change, and it shook my trust a little bit. And what I had to learn is that when God gives us anything from his word, he's generally going to start testing it to see if we got what he gave us. I had an entire year of trust tests. They were valuable. I'd never trade them. Never. So if you're taking notes, did you get your handouts, by the way? All right, good. And I think I see the screen is working as we're all, we're all together there. Then point number one, if you're taking notes, trusting in the Lord helps us commit our lives to the Lord. Trusting in the Lord helps us commit our lives to the Lord. And our scripture for that is found in Psalm 37, 5, where it says, commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. We've got trust and commit in one verse here. God didn't do that accidentally. He wanted that tie, and he wanted us to catch that he tied those together. So a committed way, if you want to understand what the scripture is saying there, a committed way is not under our control. It's under God's control. Now, how many of you would honestly admit that you like having control? Could I see your hands? Oh my goodness, the room is saturated with control freaks. <laughs> this is so awesome. You're my sisters by another mother. <laughs> I like things decently. I like them in order. I like things to go like I planned them. And best of all, I'd like to just go ahead and run it to make sure it all turns out that way. But a committed way is not under our control. It's in God's hands. So here's some trust test questions that you can ask yourself. You don't have to answer them right now, but it's something for you to ponder. Here's your first question. Will you trust God with your plans? Will you? It's just something for you to ask yourself about. Planning is not a bad thing. But just make sure that you're using a pencil, not an ink pen. Planning is not an issue. It's not a sin. It's not wrong. But if we trust God with our plans, we're going to trust him when he makes a change. Did you hear me say when? That's because, sister friends, it isn't if. Can I take this loose? 
I didn't even break it either. <laughs> what happens is we make the plan and then God either approves that plan or he edits that plan or he may actually cancel that plan. Will you trust him? He's worthy of our trust. But sometimes what happens is our plans, we don't even realize it, our plans become idols. We didn't mean for that to happen. I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says, let me see how many sins I can commit by 5 p.m. <laughs> We're not like that, but sometimes we are actually sinful in our attitudes towards God when he rewrites the script. Will you trust him with your plans? That's your first think about it question. Here's your second question under number one. Will you trust God with your problems? Will you trust God with your problems? Now, I, I'm going to guess there's no one in this room right now that can say, I have no problems. So some of the problems are easy ones, right? Like the car's low on gas, you got to go to the gas station. That's a teeny thing, right? But if a husband loses a job, that's a big sudden problem, isn't it? Or if you go to the doctor and they say, you know what, we want you to come back. We think we need to biopsy that. That could be very problematic, huh? Or maybe you're an adult, a parent of an adult child and they come to you and they make some kind of bomb announcement. By the way, if there are young adults in here and your parents are still on this side of heaven and no one has ever told you this before, just in case, let me tell you that your choices still matter to your parents at any age. Yeah, and all the mamas said amen. <laughs> you don't ever get to a magical age where we don't care what you do. You do get to an age where we can't say anything about it. But you're never at an age where we don't care. Natural affection, which comes from God, makes us care for you all the days of your life. So if you're a younger adult and you're here, and maybe you're teetering on the edge of a decision that's not biblical, rethink that. Just, just backpedal while you can because you can trust God with your life, but will you? Will you? Here's your third think about it. Will you trust God with your loved ones? Now I just asked you probably the hardest think about it question of all. Will you trust God with your loved ones? Some people actually have it in their mind and would never verbalize it, but they're thinking to themselves, I'm, God and I are going to be fine as long as he never takes my, and they've got a person in there. I'll walk with God, but if he ever takes my husband, I can't promise you I'm going to keep. I'll walk with God, but he can never take my children. If you have any person that would cause you to stop walking with the Lord if the Lord were suddenly to take that person. You're not trusting him. We don't prepare adequately for trials, adversity, or affliction. Now, it's hard to think about it, isn't it? 
So we don't really want to prepare, but can I tell you that it's a good idea in the back of your mind to always remember that you don't know and I don't know what a day is going to bring forth. And so it is really good for us to plan that there's going to be something that was not part of the plan. And then that way we can practice our response in advance. We can set our face like a flint and we can say, Lord, I'm still going to follow you no matter what. Lord, I'm going to walk with you no matter what. Even if my heart feels like it's breaking and if I feel like I'm crying my very being into my pillow every night, I'm still going to stick with you. If you prepare like that now, the chances are a lot greater that you're going to stay like that later. But check your trust and remember that trusting in the Lord helps us commit our lives to the Lord. So number two, Trusting in the Lord conquers fear of circumstances. Trusting in the Lord conquers fear of circumstances. Oh, Psalm 56.3 is such a good verse to memorize. It's not very many words. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. It is a simple memory verse, but a really good one, especially if you struggle with fear. A lot of the fear is related to changing circumstances. You know we have a natural aversion to change. That's just a part of our human makeup. But we don't want to stay in that spot because this limits what God could do for us and what God could do in our lives. So we don't want to stay stuck there. I had, um, I, I had a big old what am I going to do moment. In fact, I not only had a what am I going to do, I even had a who am I? When you're tied to someone for 35 years and suddenly they're gone, you have an identity crisis. You who are in here, even if you've only been married five years, if suddenly your husband was gone, you'd be shocked how much you are already so one flesh with him that now it's like, well, now what am I? I asked the Lord this in prayer so many times, Pam. I asked the Lord, Lord, if you made us one flesh, why do you take us at separate times? Isn't that a childlike question? I, I'm childlike in my faith. I asked God little girl questions like that one. One flesh should leave at one time. That was my thinking. And when he flew away, I should have been able to hold his hand and fly right with him. That's my thinking. But I don't get the answer to that question on this side of heaven. I have to go on, and I can choose to have the joy in my journey going on, or I can choose the alternative, which is sinking into terribly deep despair. It is like a, a pit and a narrow one. And the temptation to just throw yourself headlong into a pit like that is enormous. If you have widows in your church family, don't start ignoring them two, three weeks after the funeral. Pay close attention to them. In fact, the further out they get, keep them on your radar. And if they don't seem to want to let you in too close, don't worry about that. Still just Take them a loaf of pumpkin bread or take them out to coffee. 
probably don't do this, though. Don't invite them to dinner with you and your husband. Can you understand why that'd be a little awkward? I've been invited on more third-wheel dates than the law would allow, and I'm telling you what, I, I have the right to say no. And so I say, no, thank you. But you know what I do? Flip it around. And I say, but you could come to dinner at my house. And then I have my adult son there and his wife, and we make a family dinner of it. But trust me, most widows who are in this room would agree with me, we don't want to go on a date with you guys. <laughs> it makes us miss our beloveds. We used to go on dates, my husband and I, Norman and I used to go on dates all the time, and he used to tell our Sunday school class, I love taking Francie on a date. She's a cheap date. I think you're not supposed to tell. Let something be private. But he would tell them that. And it was true. My idea of a really hot date was for us to go to Tom's Popcorn in Minneapolis, get two huge bags of popcorn, extra butter, you know, the fake oil they put all over it. And then we'd share a bottle of soda. And then we'd drive back over to the airport and watch the planes take off and land. You know it sounds like fun. That was it. So when you say come out with us, that, that just does, it's just hard. So do keep an eye on the, the widows in your midst. But most of all, when we have a change, don't fear the change. Accept the fact that this is a journey and life never stays the same. That's not something we have to fear. It's just a reality we have to accept. Life does not stay the same. Your life as you have it right now today is not going to be the same this time next year. We don't know how it will be different, but we just know that time marches on and God instills the changes. He orders the changes. Number three, trusting in the Lord defeats an unhealthy fear of man. Trusting in the Lord defeats an unhealthy fear of man. Still in Psalm 56, 11, it says, In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. There is an unhealthy fear of man that works two ways. The first way is unhealthy fear of man because you've been hurt. Be careful about that because past hurts can cripple you and can make you unavailable. It is a hard thing in life when we're hurt by people that we should have been able to trust. It is a hard thing. But don't let it become a bookmark in your life, and certainly don't let it become a broad brush. Not everybody is the same. So you don't want to paint everybody the same color. You were hurt by someone. That is them. That doesn't color all of mankind as untrustworthy. But most of all, God is always trustworthy. And we don't want to become unhealthy in our thought processes, and we don't want to become unhealthy in relationships and become a person who's standoffish because somebody hurt us, so we decided nobody's ever going to be in our inner circle ever again. And it makes us fearful. We actually are afraid then to have friendships or normal relationships. You want to give that kind of a thing to the Lord. If you're struggling with that issue where you've been hurt and so you've decided you're going to shut people out, 
Give that to the Lord. And the other thing to think about under that same point is remember that if you will not let people become close, you're actually going to become antisocial. And that really gets to be a difficult thing if you're going to serve the Lord in the ministry in any way. And we're all in the ministry, by the way. Every single one of us is an evangelist. But if we are going to be, nope, I got hurt, all people are out. It's going to be difficult to be effective in the Lord. Then there's another side to this unhealthy fear of man, and that's where we're shy of people that we don't know. And how many of you don't have to raise your hand, just sitting there thinking about it, how many of you don't like talking to strangers? I'm looking at your faces. You're not the only one you're not first. Not wanting to talk to strangers is, well, human nature again. But aren't you glad that someone spoke to you about the Lord? What if they had been thinking, I can't talk to her. I don't really know her that well. So, And besides, she might not want to hear what I have to say. Let's normalize sharing the gospel. And then let's watch for the opportunities and let's ditch this fear of man. Have you noticed our culture is becoming bolder and bolder? So if we become more timid, there's going to be a lot of people who never hear about Christ. And it'll be because we were in their airspace, but we wouldn't say anything. This world, don't let it fool you. All the noise they're making and all the supposed boldness that we're seeing is really just a crying out of a very confused culture. And there are still people seeking the Lord. There are still people wondering what is truth. There are people out there that would still get saved if someone would tell them how. I mean, there's proof of it in the car I was riding in yesterday. I was riding from the airport with Lorraine and her husband, Eugene, and she was telling me soul winning story after soul winning story. And my mind kept translating into that, and people still want to be saved today. I mean, their story, well, I'm sure one day you'll have her stand up here and tell it at a ladies' conference. Amazing story of Lorraine coming to know Christ as Savior because of pastor being in a garage sale. Pastor goes to garage sales? <laughs> That's awesome sauce. I want you to give him an award for that. I never could get Norman H. to go to garage sales. He'd sit in the car and rev the engine. He was not playing with the garage sale. So impressive. So don't allow your fear of people to make you an ineffective witness. I remember we had a young lady, and she was from Michigan. She came to Minnesota, and she was going to be going to travel school. And it was burdening her heart that she was going to school with all these un unsaved, beautiful young ladies. And they were all training at the same time. And so she said, Francie, can, can I bring them to church with me, and we all sit with you? And I said, no. <laughs> of course I didn't say that. I said, absolutely. She'd just bring this like tribe. You could count on her walking in. And it was funny when she'd walk in too, because she's very beautiful. And all the girls she'd bring were always, they were always very stunning because they were training for travel industry. And I guess you have to look very, very put together. So in would walk this whole like entourage and the, all the young guys would be, 
<laughs> and then they'd come over and we'd scoot way down in the row and then they'd take up the whole row and just, the whole time there was staring. And of course, we had no problem introducing people afterwards. You know, there was always people wanting to come shake hands, right? But she was bringing those girls because she was burdened because they didn't know Christ. And she knew that we would be able to talk about it. We'd be able to share the gospel with them. I'd be able to ask them natural questions like, Saul, tell me about your spiritual life. Do you know nobody thinks that's weird when you ask that and they're sitting on a pew in your church? They came to church. They're looking for something. We don't want to let people get away if God brought them into our airspace. And so these girls, it would be just like gospel class. They'd sit there willing to listen to the gospel. We could take our time because we'd always wait till church was over. I mean, we'd end up going out to dinner for follow-up discussions with these girls because they were just, honestly, they were fish waiting to be caught. God has made all of us fishers of men, but we won't be able to do our fishing if we're afraid of people. So let the Lord have that unnatural, unhealthy fear of people. And you just go boldly, just go boldly in prayer into your next opportunity. How many of you are staying in a hotel while you're here? Anybody? Not very many of you. You all just drove? All 11 billion of them drove? Wow. Okay, so the surrounding area just piled into vans and came over here. Well, anyway, if you are staying in a hotel, make friends with the staff. Get to know them by name and ask them obvious questions like, oh, we're here for a ladies' conference. Has anybody invited you yet? And sound excited. Like, don't come up, has anybody invited you? No, uh-uh. Get up there like, Tigger, has anybody invited you yet? And they're going to want, what, what, what do you have, what do you have? Well, to say, and you know what I said to the hotel front desk lady last night? Has anybody invited you yet? She said, no. Like, I've been totally cheated. That's how her no sounded. I said, well, we're first. And, and Lorraine and her husband were there, and they gave me the tract, and so she's invited. And then Lorraine invited her double and said, and Easter's coming. And so, you know, this girl didn't think that was weird. We're from a church group. Church people invite people to church. <laughs> No one thinks that's weird. But we don't want to have fear of man. And number four, our last one, trusting in the Lord helps us to stay spiritually focused. Trusting in the Lord helps us to stay spiritually focused. Psalm 141 verse 8 talks about where our eyes should be. But mine eyes are unto thee, O God the Lord, in thee is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. Wow. This is a statement first and then a prayer request at the end. The statement in the beginning is, okay, Lord, I'm locked and loaded on you. I'm going to keep my eyes on you no matter what, and it's not just going to be words. You know, I think we say things sometimes too many times, and then it just becomes idle words. Keep your eyes on Jesus. People repeat things like that, and it becomes an empty phrase. That's what a platitude is. It's something that's said a lot, but the meaning's been lost. No, no. Scripture says, but my eyes, but my eyes are 
unto thee, O God the Lord. This is a scriptural principle that our eyes are to be on him. It's not just a trite little phrase to throw around. And it takes practice, because let me tell you, there's plenty of distractions. You're going to have curveballs thrown at your head in the form of unexpected things. And the enemy, in an effort to try to steal our joy in the journey, will try to get you buried under those distractions so that your eyes aren't on God anymore at all. Your eyes are on your events. Your eyes are on your circumstances. Your eyes are on your problems. Your eyes are anywhere but on the Lord. And so you're not focusing in the right place. But trusting in the Lord helps us to stay spiritually focused. In thee is my trust. But look at that. Psalm 141 verse 8 ends with a prayer request that we all need to pray. Leave not my soul destitute. Boy, Lord, don't let me just be this bankrupt Christian. Leave not my soul totally empty and void of any purpose. And it can become like that, especially if we take our eyes off of him, which then means that we're not trusting him. We don't want to be, we don't want to get split vision. We don't, double vision won't work. When it comes to the Lord, we have to stay spiritually focused. You know, one of the reasons why we take our eyes off the Lord is because we put our eyes on something that we think it is our responsibility to fix. So we shift our focus over to whatever it is we think that we're the repair lady. I'm the Maytag repair lady. I'm going to fix this. I'll have it fixed by 4 o'clock today. When actually God didn't ask us to do that. He asked us to trust him. And he asked us to keep our focus on him. So we want to keep our focus on him. We can't fix everything. God can. God can fix anything he wants to. But if we trust him, we'll also trust that his repair might be different than ours would have been. How many of you have ever had a prayer request answered in a different way than you were asking? Yeah. Yeah. I was praying that my husband was going to be Superman and that he was going to come through that cancer and then he'd be telling stories for years. Because guys love to tell victory stories. It's the old athlete in them. Everything is like a sport or a competition or a something like that. And he was going to lick this cancer. And then our Sunday school class was going to hear about it for decades. And people at conferences would hear about it and on and on. But I actually believed it too. I thought, oh boy, this looks dark. And it looks really bleak. That means the Lord's going to be magnified that much more because this is really, he's on the edge. And when he turns around, and you know that's what my thinking was, and when he turns around, not if he turns around, when Norman comes through these two cancers, whoa, oh, you've never heard such magnifying as he's going to magnify what the Lord did and how this happened and that happened. And you know what? I was praying all along, Lord, please heal my husband fully. my version of healing. My version of healing is so we can still have popcorn at Tom's popcorn. He still, Lord, this kind of healing, this side of heaven kind of healing. God answered completely. And he took a man who was in a body that had become a prison cell because cancer had eaten it from the inside out 
and he took that man gloriously to heaven. Did he answer my prayer? He sure did. Did he answer it the way that I meant it? No. You're not alone. If you have a prayer request that has been answered, but not the way you asked it, we have to remember that prayer is asking. It's not a demand list that we place before God and say, and I want these answered exactly the way I mean it. No, he, he does everything well. And so when we trust him, we're going to stay focused on him, and we're going to leave the answers to every prayer request in his hands. When hard times hit, if we're already walking with God and we're already trusting him, it's just going to be our natural thing to continue to do that. But if you've been treating God like he's some great big firefighter in the sky and he just answers your prayer request when you flare one up there, you're going to struggle. It'd be better if you get up close to him now. Maybe you're here this weekend so the Lord can speak to your heart about your relationship to him. I think we've done a lot of paper doll living in Christianity where we paste on the smile, we dress up, we put on the powder and paint, make a woman what she ain't. We do all that stuff. And we do all that stuff well. We've got Public Image 101 down pat. But do we have a relationship? You know we reproduce after our own kind. So if you're a mother and you don't have a real relationship with the Lord, did you realize that you're teaching your young people that they only have to have a paste on one too? That they don't have to have any spiritual depth. Just show up. They don't have to actually really walk with them. Just talk about walking with them. What do other people see in your life when they look at you as a Christian? It should be Christ. Because you know that if we are spending time with the Lord, you can't help but begin to resemble him. But if we're spending time practicing our Christianity, then we've just become religious. People aren't looking for religion. They're looking for truth. His word is truth. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. This is what they're looking for. They're not looking for that paste on stuff that we've become way too good at. Back up, analyze your life right now where you are as a Christian. What is your relationship like with Christ? Is it real? Does it have any depth at all? When's the last time you had a really good heart-to-heart -heart talk with the Lord? When's the last time you asked him, is this okay, Lord? Do you approve of how I'm living? Lord, is there something you'd like me to change? In a relationship, you care about that. There are some wives in the room. I know that there are some that are not wives now too, but for wives in the room, some of you are probably excellent at following your husband. Are you as good at following the Lord as you are at following your husband? Or do we only follow people we can see? We have to all analyze our own walk with God. 
Now, there's a way you can improve your spiritual focus if you've been struggling on focusing on the Lord. Let me give you this suggestion, and then we'll close. This will help your focus. Improve your spiritual focus through word studies, scriptural word studies. It helps to improve your focus. It also extends and deepens the time you spend with the Lord because time spent in the word is time spent with the Lord, right? Obviously, because he is the word. So we know he is this. When we're spending time with him, there's no question about spending time in the Word, spending time with the Lord. But it is so important to improve that focus now. Here's some word study examples that you could do. Trust. Write it down and then look it up. But take your time on a study of trust. Use a Strong's Concordance. Go through the Bible and see what does God have to say about trust? How many times does the word trust come up in Scripture? And what are the verses related to it? And what was the context that those verses were written in? And Lord, what are you teaching me about trust? You'll be amazed at how it increases your focus, not just on trust, but on the Lord. Here's another word that you could use as a word study. Wait. W-A-I-T. Oh, everybody loves to wait. God wants us to understand that he understands that. That's why more than once you'll find in Scripture even the phrase, wait on the Lord, often followed by, and be of good what? No, it's not a cheerful thing. Courage. Good guess, though. Yeah. And be of good courage. We need courage sometimes to wait. Do a word study on wait and watch how it expands your understanding of how God works. Sometimes wait is even a form of protection. And we want to understand how God's beautiful heart works. Here's another word study, hope. I highly recommend the word hope if you are in despair. And you can't have a group this large, this many ladies, and not have someone in here who hasn't been struggling with discouragement, despair, or even depression. And let's not sweep those under the rug. They're realities. And it isn't sin. But if you are in that condition where you feel like your hope is almost gone, a couple things you want to do. One, Definitely get godly counsel. Don't try to go it alone through that. And two, do the word study. The word of God will transform you by the renewing of your mind. Wait till you see. This isn't just me telling you. Wait till you see what he does. Oh my goodness, no one can restore hope like God. You think, I don't even know if you realize how crazy it is for me even to be here right now. But because of hope, here I am. I did not want to keep teaching after my husband went to heaven. I didn't want to do anything. And I didn't want to go anywhere. And I didn't want to be around people. But one of the last instructions my husband gave me before he went to heaven was, and don't stop teaching, Francie. It's what the Lord has given you to do. And I have a feeling that he's still looking. 
And I know I'm going to see him again one day. I don't want to have to say I disobeyed you because I thought I didn't have to obey after you left. <laughs> it wasn't easy to come back to teaching, but my hope is in the Lord. So even though my countenance was down and my spirit was disquieted within me and I was really struggling because of hope, the Lord helped me go on. He'll help you too, sister friend. I don't know what your struggle is or your trial. He'll help you too. I know he will. And here's your last study, word study suggestion. It's a two-word phrase. Teach me. Teach me. Oh, teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. That's my theme verse for 2019. Oh, baby. What did I pick that for? I didn't realize how cave-fiver I am, but I have a lot to learn. So the Lord is answering my prayer and teaching me all kinds of things, including the fact that while I thought I was a woman of an excellent spirit, I really have the tendency to have a stinky attitude. That astounded me. Now, why should it have? I'm a sinner. But the Lord caught me more than once having a bad attitude. And it was because of all the changes. So I went into my personal pity party zone, and I had all kinds of things that I said in prayer. And one of them was, and I don't think I like this move to Pensacola, and I don't think I like this change, and I don't think I like, and I don't think I like. And then the Lord asked me some alternative questions. Would you rather be unemployed and have no insurance and no benefits at all? Do you think my attitude was adjusted? And quickly? Because I had to run that over the movie screen of my mind and imagine it. And I realized I was, I was asking for my life to be harder. God had blessed and I was complaining. Are you like that? Maybe your life isn't exactly the way you'd like it to be. But have you ever asked yourself, what would it be like if it was worse? God can adjust us when we are studying verses like, teach me. Well, ladies, these trust issues are things that God wants us to get a handle on because bottom line, we know that he can be trusted. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. That phrase, perfect peace, means double peace. But there is a condition whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. We can all trust the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's so good to be your child. But help us to remember that we are children and that we do need to trust you. And at those times when we fail there, Lord, would you remind us? And would you guide us so that we'll walk with you? Give each one of us, Lord God, a heart that is yielded to you and trusting you fully. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, ladies.